Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Chris, what in the world did you do on Saturday? Ooh, too much is the answer to that question. Um, I had a, a, a pretty jam-packed weekend. On Friday, I was sabotaged and went to a friend's Christmas carol, which I thought was like just singing. I thought it was like a like a fun... We're gonna get some drinks. They're gonna sing carols because they're like pretty. They're a goofy couple. They're a lot of fun. Um, it was not. It was like a mass. It was a two-hour mass, and it was uh, it was not fun. It was not great for me. Also, you had to be quiet the entire time because it was a classic, classical. I don't know. You couldn't applaud. I didn't want to anyway, but it was tough. Then I had Shout a three-year-old birthday. Patty Sue. She's oh, yeah, she's the best. Yeah. How about you? Uh, you- yeah, so um, th- Saturday without football was super, super weird. I ran errands with my wife for the first time in like four months. That was strange. At one moment, we're, we're, we're sitting in Home Depot, or we were standing when we weren't sitting, and I'm looking around, I'm just like, what day is it? What, what, how is this happening right now? This is just not something I'm used to doing. Mm-mm. I it's 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 almost like I'm just being like I've been frozen and and I wake up and I'm like being re-exposed like the Austin Powers thing. Yeah, has to learn everything new again. That's basically what it was like for me on Saturday, functioning as a normal human being, like going to Target and Home Depot and Joanne and like doing all these Joanne. things that normal doing people Joanne's do. fabrics. Yeah, my wife is making an apron for for my future sister-in-law. Shout out to her. She's not listening to this podcast, but yeah, that's one of your Christmas presents. Um, she's very handy like that. But anyways, Saturday without football. I know Army-Navy was happening. I get all that. But it was weird. It was weird. It was sad. And here we are to talk about football because yes, there was the Heisman, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk all things. Uh, we're actually going to get into rec- some recruiting stuff. I know we've kind of put that on the back burner because actual football has been going on, but we're getting it, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into Auburn hiring an offensive coordinator who's the same age as me, um, and we of course we have some some bull pickem stuff that we're going to get to as well. But before we do all of that, just a reminder, as you know. Ticket City is the place to go for all of your ticket needs. As you know, SDS is partnering with them once again. Our relationship with them goes back several years as they continue to be a leader in the ticket space, especially for college football fans. Getting tickets for college football games could not be easier when using Ticket City. They're going to get you the best prices. They're going to get you an even better price if you use that promo code CMBF10. That's CMBF10. You're going to get 10% off your tickets right now whether you're getting tickets for a for a bowl game that's being played in Shreveport or you're going to the Sugar Bowl whatever you're doing uh, make sure that you are doing it on Ticket City so our weekend without football well I guess Army Navy counted I mean we all tuned into some of that Army it was Navy background is like noise cool for like the spectacle that it is before the game starts like everything up until they actually kick off and then you're like oh what they both run the triple option that was defeating for me that was tough yeah, breaking news. They both run the triple oh, option. Oh, God. Shocking. Ended up being a good uh, game, I guess. I don't, yeah, last year and last year was a lot of fun because of the snow and all yeah. that. But don't worry. This is not going to be a Army-Navy um, recap pod. We, will, we do have to talk Heisman stuff because Tua doesn't win the Heisman. And I think if you had told either one of us a month ago that that was going to happen, we would have laughed you out of the room. Kyler Murray ends up winning, becoming the second straight Oklahoma quarterback to win the award. And I don't want to sit here and 
beat home the point too much of Tua deserved to win and Kyler Murray didn't face anyone, even though that is true. And the fact that Tua had to end the season facing top 30 defenses in four of his last five weeks, while Kyler Murray, the best defense he faced in the same stretch, was actually number 57 Texas. I've kind of moved on from that a little bit, but I want to I want oh, you to get your you, thoughts. Connor. I want you to get your thoughts out on why Tua was robbed. So first off, I I want to revisit what I said before the Heisman, right after the the SEC championship game. The best and most ideal thing that could happen with the Heisman is that Tua loses, Kyler wins, we get Oklahoma in the first round. You have some kind of chip on your shoulder because Bamba rarely gets to have that. So I wasn't mad that he lost because Kyler, Kyler Murray put up ridiculously good numbers, very worthy Heisman numbers, actually better no in some in some categories than than uh, Baker Mayfield last year. What I was surprised and pissed off about, I put in the notes here, Twitter rage, it pretty much sums everything up for me, because I was shocked at how quickly the narrative and the story and like the support that like the media and fans like across the country had had. For Tua, the entire season. And then, just like that, gone. C. Wright brought up a great point about this. Shout out to our editor, Chris Wright. A lot of people, their job is not necessarily to watch Kyler Murray and Tua on a given Saturday. They right. don't want watch both of them. And Championship Saturday allowed for that opportunity to watch them play back-to-back. And I bet it swayed a lot of votes. Apparently, there were only 13% of the votes that came in before the which SEC championship was played, which I don't even like that. How is that even and apparently, there's I don't know why it's allowed. They shouldn't even open it up. The fact that they do that is You got to catch a dumb. flight or something like that? You can't just do it later? Yeah. Yeah. That, that to me, makes, makes no sense whatsoever. But you bring up a good point about the narrative. And I think the Heisman has become such a narrative-driven award that it's bad to a certain extent. Prison of the moment. It, it is. It has become such a prison of the moment type thing where, and I'm not saying this just because, oh, an SEC player lost, this is an SEC podcast, and that's what we're going to do. What, what bothers me is that the narrative in the beginning of the season and the, the sentiment against Tua, or at least the wait-and-see sentiment with Tua, was he hasn't played anyone yet. He's racking up all these numbers against guys who haven't played yet. Right. And then Tua finally does play, play teams and doesn't look like this unbelievable out of this world player and Kyler Murray didn't face anyone but because Kyler Murray didn't face anyone at the end of the season and Tua actually did face teams but his teams were, the games were closer right it, then all of a sudden the narrative shifts just that quickly and it's like why do, why does the Heisman have to follow this the Heisman has to follow this certain arc every year and if it doesn't we dismiss people so quickly yeah and I think there are a lot of I'm, and I'm not saying Dwayne Haskins should have won the award uh, over over others, but the fact that his numbers, and I threw this out on Twitter the other day, the fact that his numbers were actually better than 2013 Jameis Winston, I think that surprises a lot of and people, but close. it doesn't, yeah, it, yeah, it was significantly better, but because the narrative shifted so much after that Purdue game, there wasn't enough time for him to even get back into this conversation. He was disrespected all weekend with the talk just being about Kyler versus Tua. It's narrative-driven. It's a narrative-driven and, award, and it's it's gotten a little bit out of control. So what bothers me most about, like, this, from the ceremony standpoint, besides the fact that Batman's butler, Alfred, was the one who made the announcement. Weird. Why do they have a British guy up there? Eh, and regardless. You've seen Lob, actually. You know this. That's also true. So what bothered me about this is a lot of people, and again, I'm not trying to be biased. I know a lot of you are going to just, like, you know, kind of write this off. But 
a lot of people talk about how ESPN loves Bama and everyone is like, I, Bama gets all, all the Bama privilege, all that kind of stuff the whole season. The fact that it happened for most of the season, right, and, and it's, it was nonstop. And I made the joke a while back. I was like, he's going to be like the next Tebow. That's all they talk about, how great he is, blah, blah, blah. Because when you put their numbers side by side, especially all three of them, and like two is in the middle, it's not great. I mean, compared to what they were doing, Dwayne Haskins put up 4,500 yards passing, and the gap in validation between him and Tua or him and Kyler was crazy. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like he shouldn't even been there. But the fact that the entire broadcast also dismissed him, that sucked. The whole, that, I mean, that really sucked. That, I mean, ugh. I don't want to get into like the whole things. I know people, you know, they will, they will see what their eyes want to see. But that pissed me off for him because you brought him there. He had an inc- he had one of the best seasons probably in college football history. I mean, there's you could point to a certain things with with Haskins' year and say that the efficiency wasn't where it needed to be, and I, I get all that. He threw the ball a ton right. this year. I mean, he threw the ball way more than than Murray or or two this year. But my I, I still come in, I still come back to regardless of how this was going to shake out, we seem to have these problems with the voting every year. And it's not necessarily, it's the fact that, and uh, Chris Barefalika brought up a great point, there, there is still regional voting. And right. in a world in which we shouldn't be regionally voting because everybody has access to everything, and I guess that goes against the point that I made earlier about how this is you know the first time for a lot of people to be watching both of them play back-to-back. I get that. But the problem with the voting, and Ryan Rosillo brought this up on his podcast, it's a great point. They just hand out votes to anyone. Yeah. They'll give you a vote. They'll, they'll, the fact that we don't have votes right now is probably a slap in the face to us. Yeah. Because the fact that they had 40 people who left Tua off their ballot and 27 who left Kyler Murray off their ballot shows me that we've got a flawed system because clearly they were the best two players in college football. And if you're saying anything else... Your your vote just it shouldn't matter, right. and, and that's not to say that that this is. I mean, your opinion can be wrong. Let, let, let's at yeah. least admit that your opinion that can be wrong. And, and there there are too many people who who have a vote that if, if gosh, if you're leaving one of those two players off your ballot, what what are you even doing? What, what what's I mean, the point it, of this? It's like the guy who's in Kansas City who has an AP vote and would put Bama third throughout the entire season, like for being. I mean, just for being stubborn, like it's like that's what it was. Like, I mean, you know and. I like looked at like the articles he was writing on a weekly basis because I was I was heated, and he covers the Chiefs. He covers NFL. Like that guy's not obvi- he's obviously not like entrenched in Southern football, SEC football, and he's not spending you know thirteen fourteen hours a day watching it. Which good for him. That's probably more emotionally healthy. But when you have people <laughs> that are influencing the vote, what bothers me about it is this: like I'm not a real journalist. We all know that. I did a deep well, dive on the don't stats. Don't yourself short. <laughs> I did a deep dive of the stats on Friday for like some stuff we we're working on. Um, for the Heisman and like a couple things on social media. If you're going to make the argument about the stats, you can definitely make the argument for Tua. I mean, and I know OU came out that whole campaign and they just directly compared the two, which I've never seen. Kyler and Tua making a case for, for Kyler. Right after the SEC championship, while we were recording right. the podcast, was when that came out, that email. And that just that just goes to show you that this is about the narrative. Right. And you have, to, you have to have a thing now. And it's weird that it's become such a... It, 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 it makes sense why, why teams send out these Heisman campaigns and why they have you know all these things going on around it. You really have to do that now because it does sort of drive this, this social media narrative that, that can be played up so easily. And 
you know, why else would Oklahoma care about the fact that he plays two sports? Like nobody's voting on. Why him would as they a compare player. it specifically to Tua? Right, and that's right. that's the thing for me because like when if you're gonna bring up the stats, then the next part of that is also not having it be manipulated or skewed in your favor and having fair stats because it's very simple to drum up the same kind of numbers for Tua and show why he deserved it. I think Kyler Murray deserved the Heisman from his like a sheer number standpoint from the stats. I think he's an incredible football player. However, when you look at those teams and you're facing in your last five games, five five teams that had a pass defense uh, that was ranked on average of 108th in the country, four of the five, four of the five were ranked, what was it, um, 101st or worse. The total defense was 86th on average. It, I mean, and you're, you're not only playing against those crappy defenses, but you're staying in games because your defense is also so bad that you're, you're in the game for like almost 60 full minutes. So you're putting up these gaudy numbers. We're going to see what, what the beauty of this is, and I, I wish that we could have just fast-forwarded to the Orange. We, we I wish we could have just fast-forwarded to the Orange Bowl and let that be the sort of deciding factor. Um, yeah. I mean, well, I know that, that Tua's... Also, that's, that's also a problem. Because if it's like, you know what, this game decides it all. Because I think the SEC Championship game is what lost it for Tua. Oh, absolutely. And if, I mean, if and we were talking about is, that leaving the stadium. Well, like... If, you, if the people that argue against it, like, well, he never was in the fourth quarter and he didn't have to, like, carry his team on his back. First off, the Citadel was a, was a nail-biter. Second off, how quickly did everyone forget LSU on the road, number four team in the country, and you put up 340 yards, three touchdowns? I don't understand why that gets thrown away, and then we're like, oh, my God, you see what Kyler did against Oklahoma State? I think all of those, the, the arguments for Tua are there. I think Bama players look at that. And I think that that just that might have just given them the fuel that they needed in a season in which they haven't had any reason to say, oh, nobody believes in us, nobody is is picking us to do this or that, or they're you know the the anti rat poison. Tua, Tua winning the Heisman Trophy would have been rat poison for that team. Let's let's be honest. Yeah, of course. I mean, the right thing happened. Um, I didn't like the fact that he gave out a lay to Kyler afterwards. Yeah, I I think though that you're gonna see this. Throughout throughout this this you know the the upcoming weeks leading into this game and I think Bama might have had a, a little flip switch switch the flip. defense seems pretty switch pissed flip, that's it I, don't, I yeah. think you're wrong on all three of those attempts but I mean they should just start treating it like they do with the cultural playoff like there's no Heisman polls there's no like you don't see any kind of like votes on it or anything like that who's favorite twelve people in a room yeah let us like crazy put Condoleezza Rice and a couple other people in there figure it out. Well, she's going to get the Browns job, so we'll get somebody else. Also true. So while the Heisman was unfolding, about 24 hours later, (laughs) uh, 25 hours later technically, Auburn at 10 p.m. on Sunday night announced that it hired its offensive coordinator. And no, it wasn't Hugh Freeze because Hugh Freeze got the job at Liberty. Shout out Hugh Freeze. We can't handle Hugh Freeze. Um, His junk. Not his junk, no. Yeah. Uh, But Auburn has hired a 28-year-old offensive coordinator. Uh, Shout out to all the 28-year-olds, including myself. Kenny Dillingham. He's tweeted that he already got a Dilly Dilly message from an Auburn fan who called him. Get ready for that next year. Let's go through the background and the resume and why this is interesting because we have a lot of thoughts on this. We don't talk about every single coordinator hire on this because there's just not time to. This was going to have a big impact, though. But this has a big impact, and it's very significant, and here's why. So Auburn makes this announcement at 10 p.m. on a Sunday night in an attempt to bury the lead, makes no mention in the release whatsoever the fact that he's 28 years old. Or if he went to college. 
he actually did go to college. I looked that up after okay. we talked about this. He took classes at Arizona while he while he was still the offensive coordinator at at a high school um, in Arizona. So this is someone who Kenny Dillingham coached JV football while he was a senior in high school. Did that because he tore his ACL and it ended his playing career. But he's been coaching for the last 12 years and has essentially worked his way up to the point where last year was his first year as the Memphis offensive coordinator. He was the right-hand man for Mike Norvell. Norvell says some great things about him. Taught one of the up-and-coming guys. They've been together for so long. He's been together since <laughs> Since they were at Arizona State, you know, back in you know 2013, I think was or 2014, whatever that was. But this is someone who is extremely young, and I don't know what Auburn is paying him, but they do hire him for two years. Allowance, I think. Yeah, they hired him for they hired him for two years, and that was the big holdup apparently with the Hugh Freeze thing that they couldn't offer a multi-year contract. So interesting in that. But the bigger picture that you look at with this is Gus Malzahn is hiring somebody that is not going to step on his toes a week after Chip Lindsey leaves him and goes to Kansas to join forces with Les Miles. Gus Malzahn, 10 days before the early signing period starts, hires a 28-year-old guy to essentially say, yeah, I'll do anything for you. Not surprising. Sure, yeah. I'm the offensive coordinator, the assistant to the offensive coordinator. I mean... That's low. That's low. I'm going to say... Like his name's Kenny Dillingham, he's 28. I'm gonna make fun of this this hire, so just know that. But also, I think it's a good hire. It makes sense. It, yeah. it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. And uh, I don't. I mean, Kenny Dillingham. Let's be fair. Does sound like the name of a kid that ate lunch by himself every day in high school. Just saying. Also, in his resume, let me read this verbatim. He also this worked, is his Memphis bio. His Memphis yeah, bio. His coaching on, on bio on, on Memphis, on the Memphis uh, Athletics website. He also worked for the city of Scottsdale, Arizona as a football camp manager from 2009 to 2013. Over that same period of time, Dillingham served in several capacities from freshman coach to offensive coordinator with the Chaparral High School. Did you see how um, Auburn tweaked that sentence exactly in its official release? So Auburn tweaked that sentence to... From twenty from two thousand seven to twenty twelve, Dillingham served in several coaching capacities with the Chaparral High School football program in Scottsdale, Arizona. Made no mention of the fact that he was a a camp manager. And I'm not saying this like okay. So our goal here is not to, to make fun of somebody's resume. Well, mine, Who are mine we? Kind of is. I, I mean, mean, I have a terrible well, resume, but like yes, they they should have put like won several neighborhood Madden tournaments. Uh, best paper football champion from sixth grade. I'll stop now. You go ahead. Put up 80 points playing backyard football that one time. Flick of the finger. I think this says so much about Gus Malzahn and what he is trying to do and what's going to be a make-or-break season. The fact that he is trying to essentially recreate what he had in the first part of his tenure at Auburn where he had Rhett Lashley and a guy who was 29 when he hired him back in 2013. He followed him from Arkansas State to come over there at Auburn. And Gus Malzahn did full play calling duties. And what's Gus Malzahn going to have now? Full play calling duties. Right. That comes out. Chip Lindsey is gone. You're not going to have these too many cooks in the kitchen situation. And it's all going to come on Gus Malzahn. He is essentially putting all of his chips on himself and saying, "Yeah, you know what? This, I'm going to ride or die with myself. I've been stubborn throughout this whole process. 
That was what apparently held this offense back was Gus Malzahn's stubbornness. And, and I should say apparently loosely. I mean, let's be honest. That's what it was. Right. His, his refusal to adopt the game plan around Jared Stidham's skill set hurt this team in more ways than it helped it. And I think that what he's doing with this hire is trying to say, look, Auburn Brass, you don't believe in me? I'll, I'll hire anybody. I'll, I'll bring in this person. It doesn't I'll matter. I'll run, my offense. <laughs> I'll run my offense the way I want to, and, and I'll get this guy to come in here, and yeah, he'll bring in some expertise, but... I'll handle all the play calling duties. Yeah. I'll take on all these responsibilities, and you're, this this is your investment. You're, you're going to see what you made this investment right. in, and I'm going to try and show you that good faith because his seat is going to be as hot as anyone in the country entering this season. They're not going to care about the $26 million or whatever it's going to take to fire him. He's handcuffed That's where the administration he's at. with the, what, the way they're handling everything. I, but so here, here's my take on this as well. I think it's I think it's perfect. Everything you said about this, this goes back to whether it's from a comfort zone, a more familiar standpoint. And keep in mind, so uh, <laughs> this child that he hired. Hey, he's my age. He's my age. So Kenny was the offensive coordinator at Memphis this year. He didn't call the plays there. On game days, Mike Norvell called all the plays. Yep. So it's a familiar situation for both of them. And I think this came down to not has nothing to do with Jared Siddham. Jared Siddham is a good quarterback. He never was going to fit in that system. I know he had a great 2017 season. This system works. It's predicated completely off the quarterback being able to run and and having like an extra person on offense that you cannot defend. Nick Marshall was the best quarterback in this offense. I mean, hands down. So I think it comes down to the fact that this was the worst year they've had under Gus Malzahn rushing the football. And you look at this this program at Memphis where they had over 4,400 yards combined with their running backs. Daryl Henderson finished 10th in the Heisman. He, yeah, he had 1,900 yards. incredible. Average yeah. like 9.82 yards a carry. So the, the reason why I think it's a big deal has a lot to do with Memphis, but also way more to do with Auburn. I, I brought this up a while ago when I was doing stats for like one of our newsletters. Up until the, I think going into the 11th game of the season, Auburn was being outgained in rushing yards by their opponents for the first time ever under Gus Malzahn. It has never happened. And they were still outgained by FBS opponents this year, which again, first time it's ever happened. And on average, in the years, especially if you think about like 2013 and some of those other years, they were usually outgaining their opponents in rushing yards by over 1,000 yards in a season. And you talk about your worst numbers, your bread and butter of your offense, and everything falls apart. Get back to basics. Bring in somebody that is going to run your offense, do what you tell them to do, and it's a pretty job title. It is. And I think that... That's that's the that's the thing that we're saying. So like this is gonna sound like we're just hating on a guy and his resume and we're we're crapping all over him saying that this is gonna fail. Yeah. He could succeed. He could definitely succeed. Let's let's not forget that we're talking about uh, someone who just won the Heisman Trophy with a head coach who's 35 years old in Lincoln Riley, and that's his second Heisman right. Trophy winning quarterback in as many seasons. He's obviously Young done something right so far. Yeah. There's there's nothing. There's nothing that that says that he cannot succeed and and be exactly what Auburn needs in 2019 right. to maximize the abilities of that offense. Interesting that you bring up the, uh, the 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 rushing stuff too, because obviously Auburn looks like the streak of thousand yard rushers is going to come to an end, and uh, Asa Martin transfers after they mess up his red shirt. That is not unreal. The best, not the best look. But I think right now. Everything that we've seen from Chip Lindsey leaving to the reported stuff about Gus Malzahn's buyout, everything that we've heard about Auburn in the last month or two suggests that 2019 is going to have 
even more angst than 2018, which is hard to believe. But I think that's that's the direction right now of this program. And barring a situation which, you know, I threw this out earlier and you hate this. Barring a situation in which Jalen Hurts transfers to Auburn, this narrative is going to stay this way right. throughout the offseason. That's not going to change. And it's going to be really interesting to see the way that Gus Malzahn handles uh, you know, for lack of a better way to phrase this, shout out to Bobby Knight, a season on the brink. Well, and, and the thing is, I think what he realized, and I, 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 again, I'm making fun of the very surface level things about this hire. And the fact that it was at 10 o'clock at night, that being said, it, they could have done it at any point of the day. Every move that Gus makes, or Auburn even at this point, but mainly Gus, is going to be questioned. It's going to be chastised. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. I mean, and I don't know, I don't think it's fair necessarily, but it's become like, you know, kind of a, a running joke. And I love the fact that he kind of, I hate to use cliches, but like, you know, just grabbed the bull by the horns and was like, if, if you guys aren't going to have any faith in me, then I will do this on my own. I will hire under your yeah. circumstances. I will follow all these rules you guys are putting in place and like, you know, kind of handcuffing me on, on the freedoms as a head coach. And it's going to be all on his shoulders. And if it doesn't work, he gets $28 million next year. It's not bad. Yeah. The get rich quick scheme. I think it's going to work, Auburn man. Coaching. I think it's a really, really good hire. How for many this Auburn fans? How many Auburn fans right now do you think are watching Bo Nix highlights and thinking to themselves, man, I hope this, this kid is, is the answer? Because I don't know who's going to be the Auburn starting quarterback yeah, I don't in either. 2019. That's, I was thinking no about it the other day because I was like, if Sidham sits out of the bowl game, I have no clue who's going to be the, the quarterback. I mean, Malik Willis will be the quarterback. but Well, you never know. Could be Nick Marshall. He's still got eligibility. Yeah, I'm sure this kid does too. Can he? You were gonna let that was gonna that was supposed to be my segue into recruiting stuff, but you decided that you you had to talk about Nick Marshall and go in the other direction. Man, so good stuff. We have to we have to move forward. Um, shout out to uh, yeah uh, everybody who's been keeping tabs on the recruiting. We have not been. Let's be honest. All right, let me. I'll, just, I'll segue us into this, Connor, because you've been stressed out about it again? all day. I am because you've been really really insecure about our our uh, recruiting knowledge, which is. For good, good reason. We've been doing it's stuff entry all level, yeah. entry level recruiting knowledge. Here's the deal: we, like, I've, I've kept up with it. I'm not like a diehard, you know, like I gotta watch it every day because there's so many flips and decommits, and there's an early signing period, there's a late signing period. It's a lot of math involved. You gotta do like class projections, all that kind of stuff. We've been, we've been following along, like you said, with the actual football being played. So there's a little intro, and it'll get caught up on what's been going on in recruiting because we're less than ten days away from the early signing period. You've got a lot of responsibilities. I don't. I, I've been keeping up with it. I did a lot of research this weekend. Learned a lot of names. Yeah, you've got a lot of names in our notes. Yeah. A whole lot of names. And that's not to say, I mean, let's be honest. We follow the, you know, the big picture stuff that, that everybody does. And the fact that the SEC has the top four recruiting classes in the country right now, obviously, you know, everybody knows that. But we're not going to sit here and break down whether or not this four-star kid is going to choose this school or that school or whatever. But there were some big things that happened over the right. weekend that is very important national news that I think we're going to continue to talk about as this early signing period approaches, one of which being that Alabama flipped a five-star safety, the number one safety in the country, Dax Hill, away from Michigan, and Alabama got a flip from uh, Jeffrey Carter, who was committed to Texas A&M, and Bama is essentially closing in on, I'll let you phrase this the way oh, that boy, you want Oh, boy, you got so upset about this. Um, what is being predicted as, and it's going to shock you guys, potentially the greatest recruiting class in 24-7 sports composite history, which is said every year. It's said every single year. Uh, nah. Yes and no. 
Yes and okay. no. It was said last year with, with Georgia because it was. Right. And if you look, you brought this up earlier, how Florida, 2010 Florida, uh, had the, the highest overall, I think it was the composite highest ranking. overall yeah, composite ranking with total points and all that stuff. But Georgia had the better, I think, average. Georgia uh, had seven five-stars last ranking. year. That's, I mean, I've never seen that before in my life. And Georgia, as we record, like just before we started recording this, Georgia just got a commitment from the number right. one center in the country. So yeah, those aren't so these they're not like my predictions or projections. This is coming from twenty four seven, but no, it's right. going to be like the fun time of year because we got a little bit of a lull before bowl season starts. We got over two weeks to the next SEC game uh, when, when Vandy plays in their bowl game. So signing day, I think they said last year they had the, the early signing period for the first time, and eighty percent of the committed players signed. It was over. 65% of the players across the country went off the board. I thought it was even more than that. It was crazy. It, was, it really was like the least exciting February 1st or first Wednesday in February ever. I used to love that day, man. I would, I would skip class. Oh, I, I heard the whole story. I, I remember. Awesome. I, but we, I mean, we did Because we, we did a pod on this last year, I yeah. remember, before. Because we didn't do the early signing period. We weren't, you know, t- we weren't recording together yet. But we... We're talking about how you know diluted the the pool was really for for the the regular national signing day in February, and we expect that to be the same, if not more. Coaches want to get this out of the way. Yeah. I mean, let's let, let's be clear. They if they could sign 100% of their class now, I mean, they would they would absolutely do it. But we're still going to have kids who are going to be announcing uh, in the next 10 days. A lot of big uh, names big too. one, big one coming up is Trey Sanders, the running back from IMG, who was committed to Alabama and then he wasn't and then now he visited Georgia over the weekend Alabama still in the picture uh, we don't know where he's going to end up he's a guy that I actually spent some time with down in Bradenton a few months back when I did a story on he and Noah Kane the fact that they shared a backfield together at IMG was absurd they and they were two of the best running backs in the country I mean three five they got more than three five stars on the team too because Nolan Smith is well Nolan Smith Trey Sanders and then who's the other one that I'm forgetting ah, I'm blanking but the there are, so there's a lot of there's a lot of intrigue with guys like Trey Sanders and then whether or not Noah, Nolan Smith, who's been committed to Georgia for a long time, he's the number one recruit in the country. If he's going to flip to Bama, I think it's fascinating that we we have so many good down to the wire Kirby versus Saban battles because that's what we kind of forecasted yeah. a year or two ago, and we're seeing this really really come to fruition. And it's, it seems like they're going to between those two and Jimbo Fisher for the next. 10 years, they're, they're just going to, tr- or however long Saban's at Alabama, I should say, um, that they're just going to keep trading one and two back and forth, especially now that Urban Meyer is retired and, right. you know, for the time being. I mean, it's it's really, it's been kind of like, the SEC always has a lot of teams, I feel like, at the top 10, top 20 recruiting classes. But, I mean, to have 11 in the top 25 of the 14 teams, that's crazy. And you have 13 of the 14 in the top 50 classes in the country. The only one is not Vanderbilt. And they're 51st. So, I mean, across the board, it's been like a really successful recruiting season thus far. I'm really excited to see what happens at Ole Miss. And like the little battle going back and forth between Matt Luke and your boy, Joe Moorhead. Shout out Joe Moorhead. There you go. Because, um, I mean, now they, you know, the violations and everything like that are, I guess, uplifted all the restrictions they've had on recruiting. They have 27 commits. The cloud is no longer over Ole Miss, as Matt Luke has said probably 8,000 times. Yeah, that's that's a lot of kids uh, committed. But, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're still at a point, though, where we thought maybe, maybe Bama last year, after the year that was, that there was a chance that they could take a step back all of a sudden. 
And that's just not going to happen. Right now, you, you bring up the point about Bama potentially closing out with the best class that it's, that it's ever had, and also with two quarterbacks in that class. I mean, that's, that's See, amazing in itself. But I, I disagree, though, because I, th- I think I get on paper, yeah, they're not slowing down. If they have the number one class at the end of the year, that'll be, I think, eight out of the past nine years. But when you look at what Kirby Smart's doing, when you look at what Jimbo Fisher's doing in his very first year, Jimbo Fisher has an incredible class. He took four out of the top ten players in the state of Texas, which is huge. Um, he's had success, I mean, pretty much nationally, and using, like, I guess, his uh, inroads still in Florida, all over the country. But LSU, Georgia, A&M, all, like, that close together. There's only five total points that separate uh, the second-place team and I think the fifth-place team as of right now. So you have teams like Tennessee, Arkansas, who have been – they didn't go to a bowl game. They've kind of been the laughing stock, especially Arkansas. No offense, Arkansas. And they're in the top 20. Tennessee could close with two five-star offensive linemen, which is it's, – it's cool to see the teams addressing every one of their needs and getting elite players at that. You know what I mean? T- Tennessee needs offensive line. Yeah, and to have badly. two five stars like that, badly. and you have you know Georgia. I, the reason why I say I think it's different, and, and Bama's not just reloading into a little bit. Bama's going to lose a lot, as they always do, but they're going to lose a lot on the D line, and on the offensive line. Georgia's entire roster, sixty-three of the eighty-five on the uh, on the scholarship roster, are freshmen or sophomores. And when you talk about bringing in in this class as of right now, four more five stars, and thirteen more four stars. That's I mean. That's crazy. He signed 17 five stars since he became the head coach of Georgia. Gosh, there, there are coaches in, in, who have been around for a long time. I think Kirk Ferentz has signed like maybe five five star recruits in his entire time. At our, maybe it's more than that, but there are coaches who will go two, three, four years without getting a five star recruit. And I, I, don't, I don't think that we should take that for granted. No. I, I do think though that, and I'll have to look up. I'm. I'll be interested in what these final numbers shake out to be, but just in terms of the the conference domination, here's something that I think is is really interesting. So Penn State is at number 14 in the country. Right. Um, actually, better yet, let's let's go to let's go to Nebraska. Nebraska is sitting there at number 22 in the country. All the talk in Nebraska right now is how well Scott Frost is doing in in recruiting. They've they've gotten some big flips recently. They're sitting there at number 22. They're number four in the Big Ten. They're feeling pretty good about themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Ahead of them, South Carolina, Florida, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Tennessee, um, Auburn. LSU. You've got LSU, A&M, Georgia, Alabama. So you've got 11. That's 11 SEC schools, right? Right. That was quick math. That's ahead of what's believed to be an up-and-coming program with one of the top young coaches in the sport at a traditional power. And you have 11 SEC schools that are ranked ahead of that. I think, to me, that says a lot about the fact that the brand of this conference and the way that it's viewed in so many places, people say that there's SEC bias and that we we get caught up in, in thinking that that the SEC really, like a four-win SEC team is better than a two- or three-win Big Ten team or Big 12 team. This is where all of that starts, and none of it is going away because of numbers that are this lopsided. No, and it, it, honestly, it I don't want to say it's going to cause even more parity or they're going to cannibalize themselves and all that kind of generic cliche stuff that everyone always says. But, again, it's not just Bama having number one class. From top to bottom of the conference, even Vanderbilt, 17 of their 18 commits are three stars. That's good for Vanderbilt. 
But when you look at teams like South Carolina, who's you know kind of like a middle of the road team, never really they had Jadavian Clowney, they had you know Lattimore, but they've never had these like huge great signing classes. South Carolina, there are only three four stars in the entire state of South Carolina this year. South Carolina has all three committed. Clemson doesn't have any. So it's cool to see stuff like that happening, and all the things that you kind of thought would be in place with all these new hires from last year are kind of falling into place. Like Chad Morris using like all of his connections in Texas, they have more commits at Arkansas from the state of Texas than actually from the state of Arkansas, which is impressive. Again, A&M, seven of the top 16 players in the entire state of Texas. There are 45 five stars or four stars in the entire state. He has seven of the top 16. I mean, across the board, like even Georgia, I think at this point we're kind of expecting them to get just, I mean, like the, the weapons he has there from last year's class of the seven, seven five stars, to bring in four more and, you know, you have the number one center in the country, you're ahead and most likely going to get the number one linebacker in the country, uh, Nicobe Dean, and then you also are still in play for the number one receiver, the number one defensive end. It, it's crazy. It, it's, it's really impressive. If you added somebody like uh, somebody like Trey Sanders or, or Noah Kane to that backfield at Georgia, I mean, goodness gracious, they basically have another incoming freshman in Zemir White who didn't play this year right. because of his torn ACL, and he's the guy that had people at Georgia more excited maybe than anyone, and DeAndre Swift is coming back, and James Cook is going to be back, and we don't know about Elijah Holyfield yet, but they're, what they are doing with loading that that roster to where it, it is fi- we're finally seeing the the Alabama type levels where it's just the depth where you just turn to five star right. after five star and 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 guys are starting earlier than ever and it's it's even more impressive that they've been able to sustain this you know and what's going to be his I guess this is his third this is Kirby's third full cycle. yeah so but Trey Sanders was there this weekend and you know came away with rave reviews and if you don't think Kirby's gonna pull some kind of upset I mean he's he's the best recruiter in the country and that includes Saban, that includes anyone else. He's the best recruiter in the country. And they've got some of the best facilities up and coming. I'll tell you who's in trouble. Because, you know, while I'm singing the praises of all these kind of like middle-of-the-road teams that I, I think are going to start, you know, becoming better and better with the kind of talent they're bringing in, Florida. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bark back a little bit on that just because I think the Urban Meyer retiring helps out Dan Mullen a lot more. A guy that they missed out on last year, Nicholas Petit-Friere, was somebody who was down in the Tampa area that usually Florida gets those guys. And Dan Mullen coming in, I thought, you know, might have, as opposed to trying to, to battle with somebody like Urban Meyer, who obviously has great connections in the state of Florida, and he has done some big time things being able to get some Florida recruits to come up to Ohio State. I think you at least, Dan Mullen is going to benefit from that greatly, not having to deal with somebody with, you know, who's, he's under Urban Meyer's tree. So anything that Urban Meyer says, you know, about what he's able to bring to the table. Like, Dan Mullen can't up anything that Urban Meyer says. And just but the, the fact that... But that's not his biggest... That wasn't his biggest uh, competition. And, and Mullen's never been... He wasn't bringing in all these, like, elite recruiting classes at Mississippi State. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, Florida's probably the most talented state in the country and for football it's and baseball and pretty much everything else. And, I don't know, whatever else they do down there. Gator hunting, all that good stuff. Hockey. Hockey, yeah, I don't think that's a real thing. But Dan Mullen, like, he, he's not known for being a great recruiter. It's just he's kind of had, like, I don't know, he's in a very fortunate situation because there's so much talent in that state. But when you you have this kind of season in your first year and you go 9-3 and, and you exceed all your expectations and then you hit the recruiting trail 
and the highest ranked player you have in the state is the 18th best player in that state, and you're behind Miami and Florida State this year, and I know there's a long way to go until like signing day, but if you're behind those two teams, considering the two seasons they had and how unstable, especially Florida State's program is, I don't. That's not good because you're. I would go ahead. I would just say though that I would trust Dan Mullen's ability to maximize a player's talent more than I would Willie Taggart, more than I would Mark yeah. Rick. So that's the that's the thing that you would. But fall if they're back taking all that talent and then he has to still face Kirby Smart every year. Yeah. Okay. That's. Yeah, we're we're gonna continue to discuss some of these recruiting storylines and we're gonna go a lot more in depth with it next Monday ahead of the early signing period. Maybe we'll have on a guest to kind of preview some of that stuff and and set the stage because let's be honest, we we're, we're late to the game. We're just we're just showing up. We uh, we've been keeping track of all things national, but you know to get into some of the nitty gritty, we will do that because I know that a lot of our listeners are diehard. They're sitting there on the message boards and that's, that's what we would I, yeah. expect. I mean, that's how I used to be, brother. I miss those days when you were like that. Just kidding, I didn't know you. Um, we have a fun announcement. We previewed this a little bit uh, last week. We talked about the idea of doing it, but we are doing it. It is up, it is running. Some of you have already joined. We have a bull pick'em. Did you join it? Tell us about that. I joined. Oh yeah, I'm the fighting Joe Moorheads. Oh my God. Okay, so um, as most of you can tell, uh, the season's coming to an end and I'm dying inside because we're closer and closer to the off season. But before that happens, we're going to have some fun with you all. Um, you guys have been great. The entire season has been a lot of fun interacting with you on social media, all that good stuff. So we're going to do a bowl pick em. And it's on ESPN.com. Just go to the site. Uh, I think you have to like, sign up for like the have some kind of account with the site. But just go to the Capital One Bowl Mania competition and type in the STS pod. There's a group on there. We're going to have a big, big competition, the entire length of bowl season, and the grand prize winner... I don't know. We haven't figured out the grand prize yet. But he's gonna get something. Oh, I was I was excited. I thought you were gonna announce it because I was like, I don't even know this. No, I wouldn't. I mean, we're not gonna tell them until they actually win it. I've got some stuff in the oh, works. I've been. I mean, it's gonna be good. Trust me. But no, I thought it'd be fun. Be a good time. Try to try to figure out. Uh, we'll figure out something for a prize. Probably just allowing me to stay there when I come down to Miami for the Orange Bowl. Send somebody just a big old box of Texas Pete. Yeah, yeah. You'd probably do that. Um, but yeah, make sure that you are signing up for that. Do that. First bowl games are on Saturday, so are short-lived. There's uh, six of them. Saturday without football. Yeah, they do that. It's just kind of a way to, to open it up without having just two but dud bowl games that nobody cares about. I kind of like that. It feels a little bit yeah. like what they do with week zero uh, for the regular season. Herm Edwards is, on, is in a game. He went bowling. Oh, he's in a game that first weekend. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Good old Herm. He's been doing better than we thought. We, we gave him a lot of crap early on, but that has looked better than, than we thought. I, yeah. You're still shaking your head. I mean, I just, I, I didn't keep up with that a lot. I cannot believe they did. I can't believe they won a game and that he didn't forget to show up on the sidelines. They won seven, I think, right? He's recruiting well, too. What is happening? Herm, Herm knows his way around a, he knows his way around a living room. That, that guy can talk, man. Yeah, he true. can talk. We, won't, we will not doubt that. Tell us about our friends at MyBookie. So, um, with bowl season kicking off, guys, I, again, I was all upset last week. Uncle Chris only had one game to bet on, so you know I had to parlay Army with a bunch of other stuff. I still won my bet. No big deal. Still on fire. Sick brag. But make sure you are doing what I do. Hit up our friends at MyBookie.com. It is the best, most efficient, fastest way to win money, get some extra cash for Christmas. And right now, if you use the promo code SDS, they will match your initial deposit. Guys, definitely go make a deposit because it's going to be a long bowl season. A lot of money to be made. 
Or if you don't want to bet on the bowl games because you don't know how good Utah State is, well, guess what? You can bet on the Heisman for next year. What does that do for you? Nothing. Okay, well, I mean, I've already got several bets in for Jalen Hurts. Um, no, so make sure you go to mybookie.com. Use the promo code STS. They'll match your initial deposit. If you go on after 7 p.m., use the promo code STS25. They will match your initial deposit and give you an extra $25. Put it on a parlay. Get Bay a necklace for Christmas. I say nothing because I feel like betting on the Heisman is throwing your money away. I bet on Kyler Murray to win the Heisman this weekend. You would. I did, and I and it was you hedged so hard. No, I just the the odds. My bookie's odds came out before any of the uh, lines change everywhere. Made a lot of money off that. Smart. Yeah. Let's talk about some players in the SEC who have a lot to gain or lose, depending on how you want to look at it during this bowl season, and realizing that we're still going to find out announcements from certain players about who's playing, who's not playing. Um, as of right now, Yahoo has a great running list going. Um, Something like Dr. Six Saturday people. does. There's 12 as of right now players that are sitting out bowl games, and you can maybe debate some are some are kind of hurt, some aren't, but um, six of 11 bowl games involving SEC teams have a player sitting out, which is more than half. That's more than half, half, man. Yeah, so that's that's relevant. But we're going to talk about guys who are playing in bowl games, or at least we think they're playing at bowl games, and some of the ones that, you know, they could have their draft stock impacted, they could have their 2019 status as a starter impacted, just impacted in some big way, shape, or form where this can change, as we talked about earlier, the narrative. So who are maybe two or three guys that come to mind as big make-or-break scenarios in bowl games? I don't want to say make-or-break. I just think it's one yeah, of those things the where they can start that. getting momentum, especially if they're a senior Go to the mm-hmm. senior bowl after that, then you have like the, the combine. So I think like I don't want to say just one running back, but any running back right now in the SEC, like elite running back, Travion Williams from AM has been overlooked the entire season. And first team all SEC. Yeah. I mean, incredible. And no one's no one's even talking about him. Um, because it's not a very deep running back class this year nationally. Uh Benny Snell, of course. I I don't really think he has that much more he can prove, though, from one game. I just think that he could take advantage if he has a big game, you know, on a national scale. Because, again, the running back class is not great. I think the biggest impact it could have, Josh Jacobs. True. Josh Jacobs did tweet out that he hadn't even thought about NFL stuff yet, which, all right. I mean, a, if you want to say that, that's everybody on, on Twitter. That dude runs hard. Yeah. He runs so hard. What has the season gonna, he, has gone on? He's, you know, got more and more carries and kind of become the featured back. Yeah, yeah, I mean, really. I mean, it's surprisingly, Damian Harris has not transformed into that role in what we thought was going to be his year without Bo Scarborough. But Josh Jacobs is, is an interesting one because he's going to be. You could do you could do the, the two sides of the coin with a guy like him, right? So you have a very crowded backfield, and some will look at that and say, "Well, why wasn't he the starter?" I think we're kind of past that point. Yeah. We should be at least because. Georgia running backs have had to deal with that, and they've been fine getting drafted early in the NFL. And I think we've gotten away from the stigma that you need to carry the ball 250 times in a season to even be considered uh, one of the top rounds in the NFL draft. Josh Jacobs is going to be a good NFL draft study, as will Trayvon Williams, who has gotten that featured back workload. But what what do you think? So if Josh Jacobs does essentially, let's say, 2016 Bo Scarborough, he's gone, oh right? No I doubt about it. no sense that Bo didn't go pro. Um, yeah, I, w- I mean, I think he should be gone either way, to be honest, because 
just again the the talent in this this draft class for running back is not great. Um, remember Bryce Love? He's still a person. Bryce Love still completely fell off the map. But no, I mean the fact that Jacobs running backs don't last long in the NFL anyway, um, and he's a guy that can he can block, he can play for like on special teams, return kicks. He's really good catching the ball out of the backfield. He's a pretty complete back and do a lot of things where he'd be really valuable for a team. I think he could end up being one of the top two or three running backs taken in the draft if he has a good showing in, in the playoffs. Um, i tell you who has the most to, to gain from on a defensive standpoint. How about DeAndre Walker and Jonathan Ledbetter? A couple Georgia, Georgia staples who can have big-time performances rushing the passer, and as we know, if you can rush the passer in the NFL yeah. or if you're doing that right around the time of the combine, that is such a premium, and those guys can they can watch their draft stock just soar through the roof. Right. That's, that's a good point. Those are probably two guys that and Terry definitely have a lot of things to play for. Yeah, five, former five-star recruit who had a nice season with Mizzou and helping rebuild that defense that Barry Odom has been, has been looking for could definitely benefit if he was helping contribute shut down a, a high-powered Oklahoma State offense. That's a good one. You're kind of off to a good start here. I don't really disagree with any of these. Benny Snell would be the only guy that I kind of – I think the Hayes kind of in the barn with him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he kind of is what he, what he is. Um, the ones that, that, I, that I bring up, I know we talk a lot about him. But Jared Stidham is somebody who, if he plays in this bowl game and just balls, has a 300-yard passing game, throws for a few touchdown passes. Show off his talents. Purdue defense isn't great. The opportunities are going to be there for him to make some plays in the passing game. If he just says, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to throw I'm going to air it out. I'm going to do everything I can to help out my draft stock. Narratives with quarterbacks can change quickly, as we've talked about. I remember... What was it like? The, it was like the pinstripe bowl in 2014 with Christian oh, Hackenberg. Classic, yeah. And Christian Hackenberg had been down all year. His first year in James, James Franklin's system. And all the talk after that year was about, oh my gosh, he lit up the pinstripe bowl. He dominated Boston College. And now Christian Hackenberg is ready to live up. Because he was a former five-star right. recruit. And it's kind of, you know, there's, there's some confirmation bias there. So Jared Stidham is a guy who... I don't think he plays in the bowl game. That's just my guess. But if he does, he's he's going to let it fly, and he'd be a guy who could really kind of salvage what, what he's lost in some ways with his draft stock. I mean, it's going to be the first game that Gus Malzahn is going to be calling the plays. I would love it if, if Stidham played and then just audibled every single play. That'd nope. be great. Deep post, oh, my go. gosh. I mean, he really sh- – I mean, I think Gus kind of owes it to him, to be honest, where – you're, I mean, this Purdue defense, you said it's not that good. It's terrible. They gave up almost, was it, they gave up over 600 yards to, to Mizzou. Yeah, that was early in the season, too. They had a lot of new, they had a very, very young unit. They got better down the stretch. They did hold Ohio State to, what was it, 20 points. So they, they did improve to a certain extent. But, yes, I mean, not a defense that you're going to expect to hold in the 14 points. Right. So I think, you know, with the talent that Auburn has at the skill position, if they try to actually utilize it, Right. And, and don't just dink and dunk and throw screen passes. I think it would be a really good day for Sidham. I think he also could potentially have the most to lose, him and Devin White. And I'm, I'm excited if they both play. I know Devin White said he already, he already is. But, God, I hope neither of them get hurt. Oh, oh, by, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, and I didn't really look at it from that standpoint. This isn't really Devin the game White from would that be. Point. Yeah, Devin White is, is somebody who, if I mean, even if UCF – wins that game and somehow dominates the LSU defense, 
nobody's going to look at Devin White and be like, oh, yeah, you deserve to drop to the third round or something like that. Right. But you bring up a good point about, about the injury stuff and the guys who are deciding that they're going to play and not skip the bowl game, there is still a lot to lose. I mean, let's let's make no mistake about it, and especially I love it. for I'm those seniors. Did. Yeah, don't get me wrong. We it, It's great that for our entertainment value, it's awesome, but there's, there's certainly something to lose. Here's one more guy that I want to hit on that maybe we haven't talked about enough this year, and probably it's pretty telling that we didn't really discover his nickname until this late in the season. Okay. The Shermanator, Kyle Sherman. Kyle Shermer, rather. Um, Vandy quarterback who is going to have a great opportunity playing on a Thursday night with only two other bowl games that day. A lot of people are going to be watching him. You know, it's a late night game. Everybody's going to be gambling on it. And he's a guy who has put up really good numbers this year. And given his his dad with the NFL connection, with his dad being the coach of the Giants and everything, people have already been talking about him as an NFL guy. Yeah. But if he goes out and puts up 350 yards and throws for a few touchdown passes in a bowl game, Somebody that was quiet is all of a sudden going to become a, a very fast riser, and somebody that might have been looked at as like a, a middle of the pack, you know, mid-round guy, he can he can shoot up in a hurry in a hurry because he has the, the measurables to be able to do so, and that's that's the type of game where if he takes that into the Senior Bowl, he's going to have a lot more eyes on him. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't really even been quiet; he's just been so overlooked. And you think about the consistency that he's had while being the quarterback at Vanderbilt, it's really, really impressive. And, like, thank God he got some help this year from Keyshawn Vaughn in the run game. But, no, I mean, he's he's a he's a good quarterback. And he also, I hate to, you know, stereotype people or typecast people, but he's, he's a quarterback from Vanderbilt. He played in the SEC. He's probably a pretty smart kid. He could easily, easily become a backup, like a Chase Daniel type deal. I know he didn't have the same kind of numbers Chase did when he was in college. But Sherman's a, a, a very underrated prospect. I like that kid out of Pat, too. That's my favorite. Pat Sajak, um, Chase Daniel. There's somebody else that was on that list in terms of best jobs in America that you would want to have. Um, maybe Vanna White along uh-huh. the same lines, Pat Sajak. But just in terms of most money, bang for your buck type deal, I I can't imagine wanting to have a job more than that. And I understand that there's a lot, there's a lot that comes with being a backup quarterback. But Chase Daniel just started his first game in like four years and has made like eighteen million dollars. Eighteen million dollars in, in his career, not bad, not bad. Just saying. Um, bowl games don't get underway until the day after. Fanny's got the first bowl game the uh, in the SEC. Yeah, the twenty seventh. So we'll still have more time to talk about bowl games. We're gonna do predictions and stuff later on. Those lines, I'm sure, are gonna change somewhat drastically. We did something a little bit different. There are no games, so. We did something that we've done variations of it with fourth and wrong, but this is entirely new. And we asked we asked y'all to come up with our segment, our final our final segment of the day, a little audience choice, and we got some good ones. Do you have Do you have some of the good ones in front of you? We're only doing one topic. It's like a feature topic. We're only doing one. Yeah, it's, we're only it's doing like one. Serious, but I feel like, like we fourth should fourth and wrong, but long and serious. Fourth and long. It's about football. Yeah. So it was uh, submitted by. Danner Kennedy on Twitter. That's a great name. Fantastic name. Run for office. What's up, DK? Says, based on the current state of program, recruiting, and tradition, what does the league look like in five to ten years down the road? Okay. Now, this is assuming that 
Joe Moorhead decides to give everyone oh a break God. and let somebody else win a national championship. No, I'm kidding. I think the landscape is five years from now, I think the conversation about Saban retiring is either at the forefront and it's it's going to be like, okay, next year it's going to happen, or it has just recently happened. I think right around that four to six year window with Saban is what we're looking at. I think for the rest of the conference, Kirby and Jimbo are going to continue to do what they do, which is recruit top three classes right. year in, year out. Those guys aren't going anywhere. I would be stunned if they were anywhere else five years from now. I think the interesting discussion to have with this is LSU. Yeah. And what does LSU become? Is it more of the same? And is their ceiling exactly what it was with Les Miles? And is this a team that can just get to 9, 10 wins, but then just not quite get to the level of Alabama? And they're left on the outside looking in. Maybe they get, you know, trade-off years going to New Year's Six Bowls. Is that their ceiling? I don't know. Because I think that this team is capable of having maybe one of those Auburn-like years where they just they have enough talent on that roster where they have a 2013-like season that Auburn have, where the fates just kind of align, and they have that one win against Alabama that gets them over the hump, and they have that one magical season where you're just like, oh my gosh, it's finally happening right. for LSU in the playoff era. I think that five years from now, that can happen with this program. I, I, I fully believe that, and I think that their, their, their floor is, the, is that nine-win floor. With the way that they've been recruiting, the way that they're going to continue to recruit, I think the way that also they've handled themselves against top 25 opponents, this isn't going anywhere. And I think those four teams are going to be at the forefront of the SEC in the next five years, regardless of whether or not you know Saban retires in 2023 or 2025, right. whenever that happens. Well, and also the thing about LSU, and this has always been the case, not even just this year, there's always so much talent, not just in the state of Louisiana, but like in Baton Rouge. I think there were, I think I counted six different four or five star prospects just in Baton Rouge. And is, yeah, Stingley's uh Alabama or is a uh, Baton Rouge kid, right? I mean, he's number 3 overall yeah. in the in the class like from, Yeah, from I think like lab yeah. um well, yeah, he's definitely from Baton Rouge. I can't remember the name of the school because it's it's a uh, it's something like Lab, dang it. They have like they again also have like three other five stars. Regardless, they are going to put a border up around that state. That's what they've always done in the state of Louisiana. I think when you have a guy like Coach O who's able to kind of really be passionate about staying home, like having a point of pride to play for like the home team and like, you know, play for LSU. That says a lot. Like this year already they have six of the top nine players committed in the state and they have nice. two other ones that are like very, very high recruits. Uh, they're like 95% crystal ball, whatever, 24-7, predicted to go to LSU. So I think that's going to be great. But LSU's kind of always done that. They did it under Les Miles. You know, they were able to recruit that state really well and get it over into Texas as well. I think the difference of the entire landscape of this conference is going to be with Kirby, but mainly with Jimbo. And the reason why is Jimbo has unlimited resources. I, I didn't think, I made fun of like the hire at first because 10 years, 75 million, I called it like the Dan Ugla hire. It's so ridiculous. Guaranteed money. It may be a perfect, perfect marriage because he's already out recruiting Texas, which is, I, I mean, in his first year, that's really impressive. And he's doing it like by a lot, by a lot. So when you're bringing in, I mean, yeah, everyone can get like a top five class every once in a while, but when you have those kind of resources with the money and the boosters at that school, you have one of the best home field environments in the country and all that money, but then you also have 
like just the entire state that you live in, you could sign 25 kids that are four stars out of the state. So I, I really think that with, with Saban getting older, the negative recruiting is going to probably start happening about five years. And I think Jimbo is going to probably take over as the probably the most dominant program in the West. Here's an interesting question. Let's fast forward to 2028. That's when, uh, that's, I think that's when like the AM Clemson thing, or Georgia Clemson. Yeah, Georgia Clemson. Rather. That's when all that, uh, yeah, not AM Clemson. That, we've been there, done that. By 2028, how many times will we have watched Kirby and Jimbo battle in an SEC championship? Oh, that's a good question. Because it's still so tough to get there. Not for, it's I think so Kirby tough. can be in it legitimately every year. Um, the, I mean, I would say Kirby, if you're saying over 10 years, I would say seven of the 10 and I wouldn't feel nervous. So about seven in the next 10 years, you think will be Kirby versus Jimbo? No, I'm saying Kirby would get there seven out of 10 years. Oh, just Kirby. Okay. I mean, maybe three, I would say maybe three. That's what I was, yeah. that's what I was thinking. I mean, but Jimbo is building a, a monster over there. God. Yeah. They're, they're finally going to get to the point. The depth has not been where they needed it to be in years past. Right. That's going to be so fun to watch. And especially if he, I mean, potentially has two more years of Kellen Mond and you know this this offense is going to be able to do some big things there I have no doubt about that but yeah that's a great question a great question and I think it's so tough to answer in the SEC just because we're talking we, we spent a lot of time today talking about Gus Malzahn and he's the second longest tenured coach right. in the SEC with you know with tied with uh with Mark Stoops and the conference has just changed even five years in a five-year window this conference has changed so much but in an offseason where we didn't have any coaching firings in the SEC. That's nuts. It's crazy, and I think it kind of sets the stage a little bit for these next five years and what we're going to look at. What's Auburn going to become five years See, from now, ten years from now? That I have no idea. Even Florida, no I idea. think, are the biggest question marks because, I mean, again, everyone, especially Bama fans, will will look at like if Bama finished with the number one class, you know, like there it just keeps rolling. The dynasty keeps on going. There's not that big of a difference between the number one class and the number two, three, or four class that LSU, A&M, or Georgia could have. And when you look at the other teams, again, like Tennessee, Tennessee not just having a top 20, top 15 class, but having elite talent like at the offensive line. And it, it's, I think it's going to be a really, really fun conference to watch. I really hope they don't expand. Let me, here's, here's one more question. We'll close out this, this topic. Let's say in the next 10 years, I'm going to tell you that Kirby Smart and Georgia – as you predicted, aren't going to get to the SEC championship every single time. Right. Somebody else from the East is going to have to take that place. If you had to bet all your money in your MyBookie account on who is going to do that more in the next 10 years, Florida or Tennessee? Tennessee. You're putting that money in Tennessee. Yeah. Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Tennessee doesn't have as much talent in state to recruit from. He's just such a better recruiter than than Mullen. And think about what he was able to do with so much less this year versus, I mean, that, that team, like, when you look at it again on paper, they were not that great statistically, but they were able to beat two ranked teams, go on that road game against Auburn. I think Mullen, like, he came into a very fortunate situation. I'm not diminishing how good of a season he had and the turnaround from four wins to nine wins. It's great. But if you're not capitalizing off that, with like your in-state competition, and then you're in the same division as pretty big national brands like Tennessee and Georgia. That's, I mean, hell, man! Right now they got a losing streak to Kentucky. Losing streak to Vandy too. Also oh, true. Yeah, yeah. 
Thank you for those for all those submissions, though. We're gonna we're gonna try and do that a little bit more um, in the off season, in the in lieu of maybe a, a fourth and wrong or something like that, because we want everybody to be involved in some of the questions that we ask, and we want you guys to, you know, to set the stage for us and do our job for we us. Got a that Christmas episode next week. Oh yeah, we got a Christmas episode coming up. Um, I think we're gonna record next Monday. We're we'll, we're we're on a Monday Thursday schedule tentatively, um, I believe. Oh, if, if that changes, we'll let you know. But before we before we close out, we got one, it might mean too much. This is from Joe K, who uh, on Twitter is at IKBeast. It's got a normal Christmas tree, just standard normal Christmas tree. Don't know if it's real, don't know if it's fake. Probably better if it's fake. But on top of it, he's got a Coach O star. <laughs> and it's glorious. And it's Coach O just yelling his face off. It looks like a cutout pick of him. If that's your star... I don't know what that says about your overall um, just state of being. What what it's been like this year? <laughs> the fact that it is culmin- it, it, that the fact that it's culminated with with Coach O being on your Christmas tree. I don't know if it was like this last year as well. I tend to think that what he has been able to do this year. Last year's like um, Elf on a Shelf. You watch it. You watch it in a column. That's what I was going for. That's what I was going for. It's, where was Coach O on the Christmas tree? I just do you ago? think he do you think he picked out that tree, or do you think that tree picked him out? Now there's an even better question. Boom. A lot of Coach O ornaments, I bet, in, in Louisiana. You think I think so? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There should be. That's true. And they stand out probably a lot too. The the, the purple on a Christmas tree, purple the purple and gold. I mean that's that's gonna stand. I would out love to hear him sing Christmas carols. Like, if I would have got trapped into going to see that, I would have been on board. I can't believe that you spent your Friday night Dude, listening to I thought it was like Christmas a 30-minute thing. I, I assumed there was drinking involved. It was going to be a fun time. And it was a two-hour mass. They sang a song in Russian. What, that, what? Do they even have Christmas in Russia? I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed. I, I was both. <laughs> uh, we've got two quick five-star reviews to get to. Some really good ones. Also... Shout out to my guy, Lawrence Butts, who I did the story on. Yeah, I know you're laughing at, it, at his name. Really, really good dude. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, we he talked really about is. it last week on the podcast. This is the guy who, while he was serving uh, in the Army in Iraq, he and his buddy, who was a Florida State fan, they hooked a satellite up to the top of Saddam Hussein's palace so that they could watch the 2017 opener. Made for a great story. He sent me some awesome pictures. Really, really cool. If you haven't, like I said, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, please, please do so. Love getting to tell those stories. If you've got any more stories, shoot me an email because now that we don't have games going on, I would love to hear some more great, it might mean too much stories. Email me, uh, C-O-G-A-R-A at SaturdayDownSouth.com. Two quick five-star reviews to get to. This is from Roll Tide from Michigan. Um, that's the subject. This is from E-Classic. I'm a Bama fan who lives up in Michigan. I love listening to this podcast because it talks about football that actually matters and isn't run by homers, even though Bama bias, Joe Moorhead bias, whatever. Uh, whenever, whenever anyone tries to smack, uh, to talk smack about me being an Alabama fan up here, my standard response is, on a scale of one to Big Ten, how irrelevant is your team? Boom! Keep up the good work. Roll Tide. And this one is from J.A.J. Coach? Judge coach. Judge coach. Uh, it says a little peel behind the onion. Finally, yeah. a sports show where we don't have to hear how great Wisconsin is or how Nebraska is going to make a big comeback. Connor, I don't well, think I heard you sorry. in the season. Chris and Connor know which side their bread is buttered and don't bite the hand that feeds them. 
lot of innuendo here. They really cross all the T's and dot the I's of SEC football and keep us laughing all the way to the bank. Forget that last part. So I want to give this lady a shout-out real quick. She's awesome. Um, they hit me up on Facebook and said they have inside jokes. To, it's a Her and her husband have inside jokes about the Daryl Carroll bit we did. With the vodka and hot fries. She quoted the vodka and hot fries. I was like, thank you. Thank you. Somebody appreciated it. So shout out to them. Daryl. Is Daryl Carroll going to be making a comeback? I don't think uh, Daryl Carroll went over really well. It's a, it's a one-horse town with Coach O, I think. We're, we'll find some new characters in the offseason. Daryl Carroll, is, he's misunderstood at the very least. I'm going to learn basketball. We'll come up with something with that. You got uh, you still got Facebook Lives going twice a week, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, just uh, okay. Mondays. I don't know. We'll figure out the schedule. Yeah. We're, we're, gonna, we're in a little bit of a rotating schedule here. You're going to have to be patient with us. Bowl season is fastly... Fastly approaching. We're excited for it. We're going to get Coach O back in here very, very soon. Not just Marler imitating Coach O. We're going to get Coach O back on. Don't worry. It's never happened once. Uh, Make sure that you're joining our Bowl Pick'em group. Yes, do that. Head over to ESPN.com right now. Do that. Join the group at the, or not not at, but just the SDS pod. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at the SDS pod, at SDS at CJ O'Gara. Let's just tell them what it is, Connor. Whoever wins the bowl pick them, not only wins SDS swag, but they get to come on the podcast and, and be a guest. Let's do it. Boom. Guest interview. Win that bowl pick them. Tell me how dumb I am. All right. Do it every we day. will talk to you guys. Oh, yeah. What do we have to remember? It might mean too much. Talk to you Thursday.